I give this new structure an 11 out of 10, oh. which some say is mathematically inaccurate, but I well, think it's accurate. Good thing I we're think it's liberal right. arts majors. Hey everybody, this is Odyssey On Air with Meredith Wool and Megan Dunn from the College of Charleston in sunny Charleston, South Carolina. What's good? What's up? What's up, Megan? I I am so excited for our second episode, Meredith. How are you feeling about it? I am stoked. So we're really, really excited for this episode of Odyssey On Air. We have a bunch of interviews today with Odyssey writers from across the country. And we are so excited to share that with you. And another cool thing that we're doing this week is we have one topic that we're going to be focusing on. Ooh. Yeah. Megan, how excited are you about this, about like this new structure and the new show that we're doing? Oh, man. Uh, Totally 100%. 11 out of 10. Do you recommend to friend and family? So today, y'all, speaking of this wonderful episode, we're just building up all this hype and suspense. And the topic that we are going to talk about is new legislation relating to gender-neutral bathrooms and being trans in modern United States. So our interviews and our conversations are going to be relating to the political elements and and some of the social elements regarding the new gender-neutral bathroom laws that are being, uh, or bills that are being presented in different states like North Carolina, stores like Target, and with different public figures and how they feel about these rules. So let's get started, shall we? Yes, let's do it. I'm so excited to talk about all this stuff. Let's do it. So I think the biggest question that we had, Megan, and back me up if you feel this way, was why, like, why the heck are these becoming, why are these bills going on the floor now? Like, why, it's not like trans people are new, like, people have been gay, people have been trans since the beginning of time. And sure, like maybe it's becoming more publicly, you you can be public with being trans. It is still very dangerous. And we'll talk about this later on in the episode, but it is very dangerous to come out as trans in a lot of cities, especially if you are a trans woman of color, being a trans woman of color, you are one of the most discriminated upon and one of the, the biggest elements of crime perpetuated on trans women of color, which is something that is not okay. So oh, in hearing about a lot yes. of these things, we wanted to talk about it. My thing is this. I just feel like everyone should, I mean, everyone should have their own basic rights. And I don't know why people feel like people, not everyone can have their own basic civil rights. I don't get it. Exactly. I just feel like people have the right to feel comfortable in everyday situations. I just feel like people should have, you know, their basic rights. I don't know why some people feel like they can't. And I think part of the reason why it's changing is because we have seen, because you know, celebrities are really influential because they have a lot of visibility. It's really cool when celebrities use their popularity to speak out on certain social issues. And so we've seen in American culture, a lot of uh, trans women who have become very successful and famous My favorite of these beautiful women is, of course, the one and only Laverne Cox, who has been seen a lot of different things on Broadway and on television since her beginning of her career. But I think what she's most famous for is, of course, her role on Orange is the New Black. Megan, do you watch Orange is the New Black? Yes, religiously. I am so excited about the new season. It comes out in like, what, a month? Thank goodness. Um, Almost exactly a month. Yeah, absolutely. And so Laverne Cox in particular and some of her peers, people like Janet Mock, for example, they've been really great advocates for the trans community and being publicly trans and in using their privilege as more wealthy and popular people, prominent people in our society to speak out about the experience of being a trans woman of color. And Laverne Cox has traveled across the country doing talks about her life and her experience as a trans woman from university to university across the country. But I think 
And tell me if you agree with me, Megan. I think it's because there have been more women, especially with women like Caitlyn Jenner, who are so famous that have made the experience of being trans more visible for the American public and therefore like a bigger issue that people are talking about all the time. Yes, I agree with that. I mean, I think... Gosh, it's been almost a year since Caitlyn Jenner, since she's been public about her transition. So I think it's really just awesome that all of these celebrities are using their fame as a platform to make this discussion more open because it's been a discussion that's been ignored for so long. Absolutely. And I think one other element before we get into the nitty gritty here, I think one other element that really has made the environment or the conversation about being trans and the trans experience for people in the United States, I think one other element that has made it more of a expansive conversation is how politicized everything is in our society now that we live in an election era. Being an election year, every single social issue becomes politicized. We can't have a conversation about anything without it coming back to the election. And I think that's why, personally, this is what I think. I think it's why we see a lot of legislation about trans youth and about trans people within different businesses or within whatever it is in different states that we'll get into that. I think that's why we're now seeing more legislation directly relating to trans people in public. Yeah, I agree with that completely. One of the biggest, I think, most popular in terms of in the news cycle pieces of legislation that has come up recently within the past week, two weeks, has been the House bill in North Carolina called House Bill 2, We will, from this point, or try to call it HB2. That's another thing that's been talking about. And Megan, do you want to talk to our listeners a little bit more about what the North Carolina House Bill 2 is? Okay, so I have it pulled up right now, and it says right here in bold, an act to provide for single-sex, multiple-occupancy bathroom and changing facilities in schools and public agencies, and to create statewide consistency in regulation of employment and public accommodations. To be very specific, that is what the bill says in bold. <laughs> Just part one. Single-sex, multiple-occupancy bathroom and changing facilities to establish single-sex multiple occupancy bathroom and changing facilities. Local boards of education shall establish single-sex multiple occupancy bathroom and changing facilities as provided in some other crazy section. It's basically saying they are not accommodating to people. So what you have to go into the bathroom or changing facility that aligns with the sex you were assigned at birth. So if you do not identify with that sex because you're trans, because you're gender fluid, you're not able to use the bathroom in North Carolina right now that identify that that aligns with your gender identity, which is a really, really problematic thing because a lot of people who are either transitioning or have transitioned, you, you wouldn't know that they were trans and that isn't anyone's business. They can disclose it if they want to, but it is so, I can imagine, so humiliating and so dehumanizing not being able to just simply use the bathroom that aligns with the gender that you identify with. I could definitely, I couldn't imagine um, having to use a men's bathroom when I identify as a female. And so that's what the House Bill 2 has said. And a lot of other states have retaliated in in many different ways. Some states like South Carolina presented a bill similar that got shot down. And some other states that are a little bit that swing a little bit more blue or a little bit more liberal, they have proposed statements that have said to their state, we allow you to use whatever bathroom you would like to use. We do not discriminate based on your gender identity. And so there have been a lot of issues that have come up from this House bill that was passed in North Carolina by their governor, uh, McCrory, and also their Senate in the state of North Carolina. And there's been a lot of backlash. So instead of just sitting here and talking to you about it ourselves, Megan, what do we have for our listeners? Because we love them so much. We have wonderful interviews from wonderful writers all across the country Our first interview being from Josh Hegermeyer from South Dakota. 
Joshua Hinkmeyer. Uh, I'm a junior at Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and I'm currently majoring in communications and political science. So really fascinating reading your article titled Everything You Need to Know About North Carolina's Lawsuit Over Bathroom Bill. So first thing that we want to know is what drove you to be interested in, interested in this topic and go ahead and write an article about it for Odyssey. Well, um, being from uh, going to the university here in South Dakota, we recently um, had our own uh, bathroom bill that tried to get drafted this year. And it luckily didn't pass because the uh, governor vetoed it. And um, I was listening to uh, the radio and I heard people talking about uh, this happening in North Carolina with Governor McCory, and I just, I was just kind of amazed about the overwhelming support and the overwhelming uh, just agreement with Governor McCory and some of the things he was saying. And I just, the more and more I watched, the more and more I read about it, the more I became passionate about it because uh, it just appears to me that um, a lot of these people are just very uninformed in the situation. And uh, misleading facts to what's actually happening. What can you tell us about the North Carolina House Bill 2? Like, uh, what does it mean and why is it nationally significant? Well, the most important thing we got to realize about uh, North Carolina House Bill 2 is that it's not just a bathroom bill. This has a lot more to do with civil rights. And a lot of people don't understand that. And a lot of people kind of sort of oversimplify uh, the situation, saying, well, it's just a bathroom. Why does that matter? But this can just go back to the 1960s. Um, African-Americans weren't allowed in certain bathrooms in North Carolina, too. And so it wasn't just about bathrooms. Like, Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't marching the streets because he couldn't use a certain bathroom. He was marching the streets because he wanted equal protection as an American citizen. And that's what's the most important thing about uh, transgender uh, citizens of the United States of America, is that they should have rights, too, and they should not be excluded from having those rights in, uh, in America, especially not in North Carolina. Just to, uh, yeah. to bounce off of that, I found this element of your article to be particularly interested in, uh, interesting to me. Um, I'm an American history major, and I specialize in civil war and American civil rights history. So coming from that communications, political science perspective, can you tell our listeners how HB2 specifically violates the Civil Rights Act? Um, the DOJ issued a letter to, uh, to um, North Carolina and the Governor McCory about the fact that it did violate. And a lot of people got confused on that because McCory says clearly that it doesn't. But the problem is, is when you look at it and you look at the uh, Supreme Court decisions and a lot of the other federal court decisions, is that when you read Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, it defines sex as not only just your biological sex, but also your gender identity. And so when you have a certain gender identity, you have rights that can be protected. And that's been decided in, I think, about five federal court cases. But the most important of all was a court case called Lusardi versus Department of Army. And this court case happened in 2013 with um, an individual who uh, was a transgender female. And she uh, was working in the computers for the, uh, in, the, in the government. And she was denied use of a certain bathroom because of what she identified as. And when the court case went through, uh, it finally came up that she was, uh, and it had been determined that it will be interpreted that using the restroom of your gender identity is not only important just for being comfortable as who you are as a citizen, but also important as a right as a United States citizen in America. So anybody should be allowed to have used the bathroom of their choice on how they identify as an American. And that court case really just kind of sets forward and sets precedence for all other court cases that currently right now in the United States of America, if you draft a law that prohibits somebody from using a bathroom, that is prohibiting their civil rights. I wanted to ask, in your article, you discussed the state of North Carolina's case against the Department of Justice. So could you describe this case for our listeners a little bit? Governor McCory got this letter from the Department of Justice, and they also sent this letter also out to um, yeah, all the universities and schools in the uh, state of North Carolina. And basically, throughout the letter, they tell them, they inform them that they're violating uh, civil rights by having this bill. 
and that by doing so that they lose education funding. And that's going to cost them up, upwards of a couple billion dollars in education funding. I think it's around $2 billion and just $1 billion to the University of North Carolina alone. So that's huge for them. And so uh, Governor McCory read the letter and determined that he didn't feel that the um, Department of Justice defined what they interpreted Title VII of the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964 to be. So they had a couple days to respond. They were kind of mad about how fast they had to respond. I think it was uh, three, three days to respond to this letter. And instead of taking away the bill, they were willing to risk losing education funding by suing the Department of Justice for creating law, is what they uh, called it. So they feel that the Department of Justice is overstepping its reach and creating law by interpreting this in what they uh, think to be overreaching. But the problem is, is uh, a lot of McCory's statements and a lot of the governors, uh, and a lot of the Republicans in North Carolina seem to have not read the letter because it shows, it sets forth all of the different uh, federal court cases that have already been decided, upwards of seven federal court cases that all decide uh, how sex should be identified uh, also as gender identity in all these court cases, and also how bathrooms are protected, which is what I discussed earlier. So this whole court case is seeming to come out of just anger from uh, whatever political spectrum you come from. So. Uh, in the case of McCory, his, uh, being a Republican from North Carolina, he's just uh, really upset about it, and he seems to be just holding back information in this lawsuit, claiming that the DOJ is overreaching and that they just really don't have any ground. But the problem is, is with all these special court cases, he's going to have to get them all overturned in order to win this case. And I just don't see overturning seven federal court cases to make that work. So really he's putting the state of North Carolina at risk of losing upwards of $2 billion in education funding. How do you think that, um, or how have you noticed rather, that other states are reacting to this bill in North Carolina? That, that's also pretty interesting because uh, just yesterday, um, President Obama released a statement, uh, more of a mandate, to all other states that because of this situation going on in North Carolina, that they also um, kind of just set forth guidelines that they need to make sure that all these all transgender citizens of the United States of America have the option to use the bathroom they identify with. Otherwise, they can lose federal funding. So now, I do, I do, when I wrote the article, it was, it was very relevant here in South Dakota because it happens here. But I think another, a couple other states probably... Uh, they weren't, they were, I wouldn't say not concerned with the issue, it just maybe wasn't an issue to them. But now that this mandate has come out, I think now all these other states are starting to come up and react. And you got two different political spectrums. You got the uh, liberal side of the political spectrum who are all for this, and then you got the really conservative side that are very against it. And then there's, there's some, some in the middle, but it seems that this uh, issue is starting to really, great, uh, really gain some speed. And depending on how this ends up, it can really affect the entire United States of America and how we even interpret the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So this is such an important case for not only the Department of Justice in North Carolina, but the entire United States of America. I think really the national significance to it is, is a lot of people around the United States, especially uh, people our age in college and stuff, maybe maybe didn't think too much about transgender rights. And I think with these things arising, these uh, these bills coming up, it's really showing that there's people out there that are uh, are willing to deny civil civil rights to uh, United States of America citizens. When you start to recognize all the pushback and all the support, it really is just going to change the way we interpret this period in history. Just like when we had the civil rights uh, happening in the 1960s, the fight with Martin Luther King and Jr. and all the marches, I suspect, depending on how this goes, this can have a huge impact on the way we, inter- we interpret the year of 2015 and 2016. For me, one of the most interesting things I think Joshua said was talking about how HB2 in North Carolina is, in fact, in direct opposition to the Civil Rights Act that was passed by the federal government in 1964. It's not just an issue of not understanding what it's like to be trans or not, you know, agreeing with what trans identity is, it's literally about discriminating upon somebody's civil rights. So one interesting element of this also is 
Last week, our federal attorney general, Loretta Lynch, gave a speech in opposition to HB2 with sentiments similar to what we were just talking about in establishing definitively and legally that HB2 was a violation of the Civil Rights Act. So let's listen to what she had to say about that about a week ago. The bill sought to strike down an anti-discrimination provision in a recently passed Charlotte, North Carolina ordinance, as well as to require transgender people in public agencies to use the bathrooms consistent with their sex as noted at birth, rather than the bathrooms that fit their gender identity. The bill was signed into law that same day. And in so doing, the legislature and the governor placed North Carolina in direct opposition to federal laws prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sex and gender identity. More to the point, they created state-sponsored discrimination against transgender individuals who simply seek to engage in the most private of functions in a place of safety and security. So Meredith and I found this really great article uh, from the Human Rights Campaign website talking about how Loretta Lynch's speech is a milestone for transgender equality. So they have four really good points here. The first one being she unequivocally assured transgender people that they deserve the respect and dignity afforded all Americans as well as full protections of the law. Second, she put the anti-transgender HB2 in context, drawing on other lamentable chapters in our nation's history when the inexorable march toward full equality prompted other harsh and discriminatory responses. And third, she exposed North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory's lies about the transgender community and HB2. And last but not least, she referenced shameful moments of state-sanctioned discrimination in North Carolina's recent past and the pain and the regret it inflicted. So it says a lot more about that, but those are the four main points that this article emphasizes. Absolutely. I think this is a really good article that you picked, Megan, because... The human rights campaign, which historically has existed to protect the rights of those in the LGBT community in the United States, pointed out a few really thing, really important things about the civil rights and the nuances of civil rights in terms of what is protected for you as a citizen of the United States as a minority in the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And what I love about what Loretta Lynch did, making her a certifiable BAMF, like we didn't already know that, we knew that, but just to put it out there, is she wasn't afraid to bring up the really dirty and not easy to talk about elements of Southern history. She referenced uh, Brown versus Board of Education. She referenced Jim Crow laws that were established in North Carolina and across the South following the Civil War. She wasn't afraid to say what a lot of people were thinking. She wasn't afraid to say, hey, this is some really weird stuff that reminds me of what was happening in terms of racism in the South. She says, and from her opinion, and her opinion being the attorney general is the opinion of Barack Obama, as well as the rest of the federal government, is that discriminating upon transgender individuals in public spaces and not allowing them to use the bathrooms that they identify with is the same as racial discrimination and segregation was in the South during Jim Crow eras, which is a really bold claim to make. Moving forward, Megan, I think another really interesting element of this conversation to bring in is the violence and hatred that a lot of trans women of color experience in the United States today. Is that something that you've heard about before? Yes, that's something I've heard a lot about before, unfortunately. Um, Do you remember when Laverne Cox stopped by our campus a few years ago? She said something about that, and I know we were talking about her earlier. Yes, yes. Oh, my God, y'all. So really cool thing. Before, and I like have a lot of great pride about this. I'm sure Megan does too. I do. Laverne Cox came to the College of Charleston before she went to a lot of other schools. Like we were one of the first universities that she traveled to because um, she came in the winter of 2013 and the first season of Orange and the New Black had just come out like that fall. So she was still like very new to the scene of television and Netflix and popularity And yeah, Megan, I totally remember that. I'm glad you brought that up because she did talk about her experiences with harassment because of being trans. All right, so let's listen to this sound clip and hear what Laverne Cox had to say about street harassment. There was a moment about 10 years ago when I was was walking to the subway on the Upper West Side. It was the 4th of July, and I was wearing a red, white, and blue dress. I was feeling very patriotic. 
and it was really tight. And I and I passed these these two men. One appeared to be Latino, and the other appeared to be black. And the Latin guy says, "Yo, mama, can I holla at you?" <laughs> and and the black guy said, "Yo, dude, that's an N word." And then the Latin guy says, "No, man, that's a." And the black guy said, "No, that's an N word." And they began to argue. They began to argue about whether I was the the B word or the N word. <laughs> What lovely options. <laughs> and, and I was just standing there at the light, like waiting for it to change. Please, light change so I can cross the street because they just needed to cross the street. And at one point, the Latin guy turns to me and says, you ain't an N-word, are you? And that, that moment is sort of indicative of a lot of the street harassment that I've, that I've had to endure. I just remember, because this was freshman year when she came to talk on campus, and now we're about to be seniors, and I just remember she said so many amazing things, and, I mean, just other stuff she's overcome, like, over the years and everything, and she's really an inspiration. She's such a cool person. I have a lot of pride that she came to our campus because, I mean, that's awesome. Absolutely, and I think... One one thing that we were talking about a little bit earlier in the introduction of the podcast is that part of the reason why we're having more conversations about the trans experience and about trans people in our everyday political conversations is because of people like Laverne Cox using her popularity to bring to light a lot of tragedies and travesties that are happening every day across the country. The majority of victims of hate violence homicides were transgender women. So the majority of these women, 72% of victims of hate violence homicides, so people that were being murdered because of their race or their gender or whatever it was by a hate crime, 72% of that were transgender women. And a high percentage of that, so 67% of that 72%, were trans women of color. So Laverne Cox's prominence as a trans woman of color puts her in a lot of danger, but it's her, one of the platforms that she's taken is to speak up for the community that she represents as a whole about the fact that if you are trans, and this is another statistic from the NCABP, which stands for National Coalition of Anti-Violence Programs, that transgender people are seven times more likely to experience police violence and physical violence from law enforcement. Transgender people of color are six times more likely than the rest of the community to experience police violence. So it's a very prominent and statistically relevant issue that we have to face and keep talking about. We have an awesome interview with Jesse Pratt, who is in Atlanta. We are going to talk to them and see what they have to say about their most recent article. major at the Savannah College of Art and Design in Atlanta. I'm 19 and I identify as genderqueer. I am curious to know what influenced you to write this piece. I accompanied this piece with a photograph of mine from my AP photography portfolio from high school and um, that's when I initially became interested in gender identity and exploring that artistically and I've been increasingly interested in it in my because of my own journey with my gender and I've always been interested in equality and all that stuff because ever since I came out as gay like in um, 10th grade obviously I was concerned with all the the struggles that came with that so um, I just wanted to learn more and I and I really wanted to educate people about this because I know it's a topic that is very misconstrued and people are very ignorant about it still even though it is uh, a hot topic right now but a lot of people still are misinformed about it, so I just wanted to use my this new platform that I had to express that and educate people about it. You wrote about this a little bit in your piece, but I'd like to hear you kind of elaborate on this a little bit. Why do you think that legislation, like using gender-neutral bathrooms, is becoming so prominent right now as opposed to 10 years ago or 30 years ago? Well, 10 to 30 years ago, we were still in a point where other minorities were still not even being accepted or given rights. And I think that um, trans people have had the last, the least visibility 
out of all of those minorities. So they weren't able to express their struggles and people were, weren't aware that they even exist. In recent years, social media, popular culture, and like celebrities that have come out as transgender, they've used their voices to um, educate people about it and people have become more aware about it. And also, 30 years ago, medicine obviously wasn't advanced, so trans people weren't able to transition as much as they wanted to. And now that I think that medicine has become more advanced, you see more trans people because they are able to use medicine to transition if they feel the need to. Whereas 30 years ago, that wasn't the case. Well, I noticed um, when reading your article, there were so many shocking statistics, um, such as like 32 states still say it is legal to fire a person just for being transgender. So my question is, in your opinion, even though there's been a lot of progress made over the past couple of years, why do you think that these statistics are still so prevalent in today's society. The fact that trans people have been ignored for much of history because they're like the most non-conforming minority. They're the minority that doesn't look like everyone else. Like, I mean, you might, you don't know if a person is trans or or not every time, but Mm -hmm. people are unaware of what actually being trans is, that it it has nothing to do with what's in their pants. that it only has to do with their gender identity, like, and, and that it, it it doesn't align with the sex that they were born with. And people have a hard time wrapping wrapping their minds around that because of this outdated view that there's a dichotomy between the two sexes, and this outdated view that there's only male or female. So that's why um, a lot of people have hard hard time wrapping around that. And we're just now getting around to a point where they're having enough voice that the legislative process starting to also hear them. Also, trans people are only 1% of the population, so they're one of the smallest minorities, so I think that's also might contribute to the fact that they people have not been able to hear about them. A couple of days yeah. ago, as I'm sure you're aware, the U.S. Department of Education released a statement saying that all public schools under constitutional law cannot discriminate upon a student based on their gender identity and must respect the gender identity um, as the students issue those. Do you yeah. think that this statement is going to shake a lot of ground? Do you think it's going to make a lot of change? Or do you think that, it, you know, it was just kind of a political move? What's your perspective on that statement from the Department of Education? Yeah, I actually just read that. And I thought it was an amazing move by Obama. Obviously, it is going to cause a lot of backlash by conservatives. But I think it is the smart move to make right now, because one of the, the main reasons that people are so ignorant and against trans people is because they haven't been educated about them since they were children. And there's no education set in place in public schools teaching people, teaching children about gender identity, which is ironic because it's something that every single person has to deal with. So I think that by placing the law in bathrooms, allowing kids to use the bathroom that they identify with is very progressive and it will probably aid the advancement towards trans rights a little faster than trying to change the minds of people who have already grown up on more outdated views. And by allowing these kids to have accurate representation and equal rights, it'll probably advance a lot more than trying to change the laws. How do you think we can be effective allies to the trans community? Like, in your opinion, how do you think? I mean, it is a sensitive subject, but I think it's something that everybody can do easily. It, it just goes back to just respecting everyone equally. But when it comes to trans people, I mean, respecting their pronouns. When when you meet a trans person, don't make assumptions just by how they look. They may Their gender expression might not, might not even tell you what their gender is. Just if you don't know what someone's gender is, I say just refer to someone by they. It is, it is kind of, we already do it subconsciously when we're talking about people that we don't know. We say, oh, they're they like them we might as well do that consciously when we're talking about someone that we're we're not sure about what their gender is i feel like there's a problem of fetishization of trans people i think that needs to end i mean that's not one of the most problems that people are aware of but i think that people can if they see people trans people uh, just like ordinary people that have struggles and emotions and aspirations just like everyone else then it'll help level the playing field for all. Do you think that change on the discrimination upon um, trans people, be it trans women of color or whatever spectrum on that totem pole that you were discussing, do you think that it is more important for that change to come from a national level, like 
the statement issued by the Department of Education? Or do you think it's more important for that change to come on a local level? In order for one to happen, you have to do one first. I feel like it'll be easier. I mean, it'll take less time to change laws, but it, it might not be easier because there's so much conservatives in the Congress and like they probably will not pass those laws. But I feel like changing local attitudes and mindsets will take many, many years. And uh, we have to start now. And we can't just say, oh, we'll change a bathroom law which is good, we'll be protecting transgender people. But if we just do that and do not reform our education system and start teaching kids about gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, in order to change local attitudes, we have to start with a new generation. Forms at a national level are going to be difficult, but they're important to protect trans people against violence because the whole trope that the conservatives are asserting that, oh, we're, we're protecting... Um, women against predators is this completely untrue and they have obviously no no concrete evidence for that and it's just they're just hiding behind a veil of bigotry. Trans people are the people who will actually hurt more if we don't pass these laws. I'm sure you've heard about everything that with target right oh yes and it makes me so mad because like why why are people coming from target like target is the most magical place on earth that's what i'm saying i am reading their corporate statement titled continuing to stand for inclusivity and it says we believe that everyone every team member every guest and every community deserves to be protected from discrimination and treated equally sounds great right yeah def- to me that sounds like the magic of target apparently a lot of people all I were upset about it, which I personally don't understand because everyone has a right to feel comfortable in their environment. And some people yeah. are just, they're not a fan. Mm. All right, let's see. So I was looking at an article that actually tied in how people in North Carolina were reacting to Target. And I'm reading this article from The Advocate, which actually came out an, a day after that statement from Target that you just read from came out in the end of April. And it says that the company announced a policy on its corporate website today that you just read from saying that inclusivity is a core belief at Target and it's something that we celebrate in line with the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So like we talked about with Joshua earlier, Target agreed before the federal government issued a statement that House Bill 2 was a violation of civil rights. So they said, screw you, North Carolina Senate. We're going to let people use whatever bathrooms they want. And if you don't like it, you don't have to come here, which I think is such an amazing stand that a business made on a political issue. And I think it's so important that businesses do things like that because that's where these laws will be enacted. And another really cool thing about Target that I was reading about in this Advocate article was that this is not the first time that Target has come out on this issue. Two years ago, Target, unlike a lot of other stores like Walmart, for example, or even Toys R Us, they don't gender the aisles in which their toys are. So it's like all of the toys are just together and they're completely mixed in. So The Star Wars toys are mixed in with the Barbies and the G.I. Joes and everything like that because they issued a statement that they didn't want youth and parents to feel like boxed in. And a lot of people have had problems with that. People have been really upset about the fact that they haven't been separating their 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 gendered um, toys. There's so many other things in life to be upset about. I I don't get it. To present another uh, perspective on this, because I think like you listeners can probably hear at this point how Megan and I feel on this issue. Um, But there was an article that was written and published on January 15th, 2015 in the Christian Post online by a um, professor at New York University. And he was talking about the merits of boycotting um, businesses that support LGBT activism. And so the main focus of their article was on Target, because just like I was talking about, Target announced that it was doing away with boys and girls toys. This uh, professor, whose name is Michael Brown, said in the article, and I quote, Instead, all toy aisles are now gender neutral, since Target didn't want to promote gender stereotyping, as if it's bad to say that most boys prefer G.I. Joe toys to little princess toys, or that most girls prefer doll toys to Nerf guns, or girls, and it just goes on and on and on. And 
What Michael Brown, the author of this Christian Post article said and ultimately concluded was that Target was offending the majority of its customers to protect a small minority. And he said that, quote, it is cultural madness that Target was doing that. That was another perspective presented in which somebody who disagreed with the LGBT activism of businesses like Target didn't understand why a business was passing all these rules that only related to such a small percentage of their customers. He felt like those those laws were offensive or those rules were offensive, which I, as an avid Target customer, would want to go there and support them even more because of those rules. Exactly. I would do the same exact thing. Because of the Citizens United case, businesses are people. They vote because they, you know, they have a vote and they can donate as much money as they want to campaigns and making commercials for political Uh, forces or political groups or things so target as a business has the right to do whatever they want with their bathrooms especially because it's in line with the civil rights act which is a federal law just like for example chick-fil-a has the right to be closed on sunday because of religious affiliation so i feel like it's it's picking and choosing it's like moral relativism it's picking and choosing what you want to believe when you say things like that about businesses like target doing what they're doing absolutely megan and meredith with odyssey on air with odyssey writer marisa wary and ithaca professor dr leo taylor how are you both doing today doing just great i'm doing well too wonderful well thank you so much for joining us so would you both mind introducing yourselves to our listeners i am I, well, I guess I'm a senior now. I'm a senior at Ithaca College, and I've only been writing for the Odyssey for a little bit, um, but so far I love it. I'm a writing major and a culture and communication major. My name is Dr. Leo Taylor. I teach biology of sex at Ithaca College. Uh, I also am a production manager and teaching assistant at the Actors Club of Ithaca, among several other things that I do around town. So the first question off the bat is for Marisa. Just in general, whatever information you want to share, tell our listeners a little bit about why you wanted to write your article. So I um, just I think that we're at a crucial time for our transgender rights right now. Um, I feel like there are kind of two um, streams of thought forming. I think there's a lot of acceptance going on. I think there's a lot of rejection going on. So I thought it was important to share stories with Dr. Taylor's, and it ended up being a great interview. The conversation was amazing, and he's a really great and laid-back person to talk to. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about trans issues is that it's now cool to be trans with people of a, of a younger generation. So we're seeing not just acceptance, but a, a great deal of enthusiasm and excitement from the millennials. And that is another reason why trans issues, I think, are really big right now, especially with the bathroom bills going on in North Carolina. But, but I think the millennials are really feeling connected to that movement because they're connected to trans people. In Marisa's article, I was very interested in what you said, Dr. Taylor, about finding your path to acceptance with your gender identity. Do you have any advice for our listeners about steps for finding similar acceptance in their own path? Sure. I think, and that applies to many identities, sexual orientation as well, but but other things, I think we're all just trying to figure out where we fit in, what types of friends to, to make, what types of issues to devote our lives to, and I find that, that the best place to discover those interests and those opportunities is through community and being around other people who are exploring or identify with those same issues, which is why support groups or other community outlets are really, really important for trans people and other marginalized populations. It's really therapeutic. In fact, yesterday at our trans support group meeting, um, a person came for the first time and was terrified, sent me an email today saying that they would be coming from now on every single time because they realized how important it was to be able to sit in a room and say, this is how I feel, who I am, and to be received with, yeah, we know what that feels like, instead of, we love you and we accept you, but we can't understand you. Yeah, so this this person is now feeling so much better about their uh, 
their journey because they have community. For me, one of the most interesting things that I read in Maurice's article about your experience, Dr. Taylor, um, she quoted you as saying that as you were transitioning, you felt as though you gained societal status as a male while your wife lost status during her transition as a woman. Um, so could you tell our listeners a little yeah. bit more about this dichotomous experience? Yeah, so I transitioned on the job in Austin with, interestingly, uh, a Mormon company, and they were tremendously supportive, mostly because of the type of business they were. They were involved in getting people in touch with what's most important to them. I ended up receiving a promotion. I was invited to the, a conference in Utah to give a presentation after I transitioned. I am certain, I don't have any evidence, but I am quite certain that if I had been a trans woman, they would have never asked me to, to give a presentation and probably would have fired me or found some way to get rid of me. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, found herself on the streets doing sex work within a month of coming out to her family. She couldn't get job interviews uh, before she could get job interviews and she could get jobs easily. I had more difficulty getting jobs before my transition, and now if I get an interview, I get the job. So, yeah, there were some very tangible differences in our experiences, and I do believe that it is rooted in uh, sexism and the kind of the idea that being a woman is, is inferior to being a man. It's not as valuable. Women aren't as valuable. Um, it makes sense why I would have wanted to become a man, right? Although that's a that's that's language that's used to talk about trans people. But I would want to come, become a man to gain status, uh, and that is that's that's a consequence that that happens. I did gain status, but I didn't do it for that reason. I did it because I was a man. I was just not being perceived. So this is an open question for both of you. If one of our listeners has a friend or family member who is struggling to find their gender identity or are transitioning, what is the best way you recommend that we support them? So how can cisgender friends help someone who comes out? Correct. It's a complicated question to answer because it depends on the person uh, and your relationship with them and how much you know. I would say the first thing to do is to get clarification about what language to use when talking to the person. So ask them what they would like to be called. What, what name would they, if they have, if they have an idea, what, you know, tell me what to call you so that I honor your identity. And that is, I want, you know, make sure I'm using the right pronoun, make sure I'm using the right name, make sure I'm not saying anything triggering. So, uh, making comments on appearance, things like that. So get, ask the person to tell you how they want you to interact with them and then do your best to, to, honor those requests and ask them to be patient with you because you're going to make mistakes. They may not have an idea of what they want yet. In that case, you would simply want to ask them what they need from you, what, what you can do to support them and then let them decide how you should treat them. You know, let them inform you and just listen. A pitfall that some people fall into is, uh, especially parents, is trying to push their child into medically transitioning before they're even ready to think about it. So I just tell people to be patient, let the person tell you what they need, and then do your best to provide those needs. And tr- and also educate yourself. If you could do research on your own, you could learn a lot about uh, the experiences of some of the people like your friend. As a matter of support, I think um, the best way to support them, in addition to what Dr. Taylor said, is that in the article he talked a lot about just connecting with people who have similar experiences as you. And to make them feel like they have people that can really, really understand them, I think that's the most helpful thing. And so helping them get in contact with a community or a group of people who have similar experiences as them, um, I think that would be a really great way to support someone who has just come out as transgender. What an awesome interview with Marisa Wary and Dr. Leo Taylor. What do you think, Meredith? Yeah, absolutely. I really like that was the first interview that we did between two people. And while that was kind of difficult to do over the phone, I really like the two different perspectives that Marisa and Dr. Taylor could offer 
on the issue of trans identity and supporting somebody who might be transitioning. Absolutely. It's so important to know about, and no matter how you feel about this issue, it is so important to stay informed. That's what I've said from the very beginning. To stay informed is so important and crucial. Absolutely. And you're so right. And I think one thing that I really enjoyed talking with you about on this issue is there are so many different aspects to it. So if you're learning about, you know, things like HB2 or different gender neutral bathroom laws and rules and it being in violation of civil rights, like we talked about with Joshua Hinkmeyer or just being having different identities, for example, um, Jesse talking about their gender fluidity and the complications of being a member of the trans community and statistics relating to increased violence that different uh, elements of the trans community face. Or when we talked about Marisa and Dr. Taylor being trans and what that transition looks like, there are so many different elements of such a small community. And that's why visibility matters so much, like we talked about with Laverne Cox. And that's why talking about it and learning more about it is super important. I agree. Yeah, it's great to talk about. And I'm happy I get to talk about it with the one and only Meredith Wool. And I'm so glad to have Megan Dunn on the ride. So for all you listeners out there, if you'd like to learn anything more about being transgender, about the transitioning process, or about how to be a good ally to the transgender community, there are a lot of online links, things that you can search, that you can Google, but specifically the Human Rights Campaign, which is a very big federally funded fund, has a lot of information on their website about being transgender and about different laws relating to being transgender. So if you'd like information about that, go to www.hrc.org backslash transgender Or another really great resource is GLAAD, which is G-L-A-A-D, and they have a lot of great sources for anybody on the LGBTQQA spectrum, which includes allies. And so if you'd like more information from the GLAAD website, you can go to www.glad.org backslash transgender backslash resources. So that is the end of our episode this week with Meredith Wool and the one and only Megan Dunn on Odyssey on Air. Thanks so much for listening and tuning in and being awesome listeners. We love talking to you guys. So thank you. Uh-huh.